You're listening to Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Well, let's get in the Word, but let's pray first. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, God, for your love. We thank you for all the moms in this place this morning, and, and Lord, how blessed we are uh, because of them. Lord, would you bless them and strengthen them? Uh, Lord, those who don't have a believing mom or a good relationship with their mom, would we pray that you would bring unity and that you would bring peace and healing, even restoration, Lord. Um, and Lord, we thank you for this place that you've given us to worship, to get into your word, to fellowship, to pray with each other. Uh, Lord, we thank you that this is a safe place, that we can come to you, we can be real with you, and we can be real with each other. And Lord, we do thank you for your word and that you desire to talk to us I thank you that you have something for each of us through this book of Philippians today. Would you know each person that hears this message, you know where they are in life? Would you know where they are mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically? Father, I pray that you would fill us this morning with your Holy Spirit and that you would speak to us, that you would bring hope and purpose, that we would understand our mission in life and that we would run after it. Help us, Lord, to see more than words printed on a page or on a screen. Help us to see and hear you, to see your guidance, to hear your correction. And I'm asking, Father, that you would equip us this morning. So we lay down the struggles of the week, and we ask you to give us clear minds and clear hearts, ready to receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, apparently, as I prepped for this message, apparently God decided I had much to learn and to relearn this week in honor of his word as we go through this message. Um, some refining was happening in me. And uh, this week was a, a heavy week, just a lot of different things going on. Pam had two appointments this week. One was preparation for the T-cells, the other was a T-cell uh, infusion, and, and that ended up being seven and a half hour long uh, appointment at the, at the clinic, at the hospital. And on top of that, we found out that our pup has a torn ACL, which is, in most dogs, not a big deal. But when your dog weighs 214 pounds, it kind of, kind of becomes a thing. I'm um, trying to figure out what to do with that. Uh, then we found out Brandon's girlfriend, my son, she was rushed to the ER, has a growth on her spine, causing severe pain, having to have emergency surgery. A lot of things happening and just kind of falling in at one time. And uh, in that, then my health, my stress level, because you know, I'm a pastor, I don't ever stress. Uh, that stress level for me, kind of, my body has this release button. <laughs> and it was, the release button was hit yesterday and I was pretty sick. And so, um, all that to say, it, it is a but God moment to even say, I'm here this morning. What is it that God has for us? What is it that God is doing in and through our lives and in and through the struggles that we have? 
2 Peter 1, 12 through 15 in the message paraphrase says, because the stakes are so high, even though you are up to date on all the truth and you practice it inside and out, I'm not gonna let up for one minute and calling you to attention before it. This is the post to which I have been assigned, keeping you alert with frequent reminders. And I'm sticking to it as long as I live. I know that I am to die soon. The master has made that quite clear. And so I am especially eager that you have all this down in black and white so that after I do die, you'll have it ready for reference. This reiterates the importance of having God's word. It's more than just a good book to read. It's more than just good words printed on a page. It brings life and instruction to every area of our lives. And even more important, we each have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But in that, it's not for you to keep it to yourself personally. That personal relationship that you have with Jesus Christ is to be proclaimed unashamedly. That's our mission. If you believe in Christ, you share that with others. And Peter's approach is the same as Paul's. There's an urgency in their tone because they know their time is short. It's likely that Peter was in prison when he wrote that passage and knew that he could die soon. So he wants to get the message of exhortation out. Basically, he's saying, hey, I know you know the truth. You know the gospel message, the, the way you should be living. You know all of these things. But until my last breath, I'm going to remind you of these things, making sure that you're established in them, that you're holding steady, that you're standing strong. As you serve, you're always reminding people of things they already know. I mean, a Sunday school teacher, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, an elder, anyone else who, who wants to be used in service. But why? Well, Peter even says, I mean, I already told you this. You should know it. But because we live in a, a sinful, broken world, we tend to forget important things easy. And of course, we remember the things that aren't important usually at two in the morning, at least that's me. And we lay there and stare at the ceiling Personally, the last two weeks for me have been pretty rough. I've, I, I lost perspective. I was down. I was depressed. I was angry. I was frustrated. Even though that I, I knew better, I know God is in control. Many of you reached out with scripture and prayer and to that I would say, don't stop. You never know what God is doing. And I say that for any of us. If God puts somebody on your heart or your mind throughout the week, pray for them. And if you can, send them a text. Give them a phone call. Hey, I was just thinking about you. Here's this scripture I was just reading. This is for you. Because you don't know where they are. You don't know what God really does with that. And so I encourage you to do that. Be obedient to the Holy Spirit. But even though I had that, even though I knew, even though I've been studying God's word, even though I'm a pastor, I still fell into the enemy's trap. It truly is a daily walk, a walk that we all do. All of us have to. But sometimes that walk is indeed a struggle. We desire those mountaintop experiences. Anybody like to be on the mountaintop? Like to get to that summit and look and see the view, right? That's where we want to be in our faith as well. We want that mountaintop experience, but we forget that we have to walk through the valley. And then even as we get through the valley, we got to climb to the top. We've got to do the work. We've got to spend the time. And the whole time that we're doing the work, the, that, that we're spending the time, Satan's right there, ready to steal, kill, to destroy, bring in distractions, frustrations, all those things. 
So really, it becomes all of our jobs to remind people, to remind each other. Mom, dad, pastor, elder, teacher, no matter what the role we have in life, no matter what role you play as you're in this room or you're listening online, we all are to exhort and remind over and over until it is established in the heart. That's our job, that's part of our mission. And you have to listen to this. It's not how much you know that counts as much as how well you know what you believe. I've asked often, why do you believe what you believe to be truth? Can you articulate that? Can you tell others about that in a way that they will hear you and receive that? Why do you believe what you believe to be truth. How well do you understand the basic truths of God's word? You don't have to have a PhD in, in biblical studies, but what do you know and how well do you know it? How much do you believe it? Are those truths deeply rooted into the very depths of your soul? Psalms chapter one, one through three says, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of the sinners or sit in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree firmly planted in the streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. It is God's word that lengthens and strengthens our root system. Uh, in the clinic this week on Thursday, outside the nurse's station, they've got a plaque, and I, I took a picture of it, and I need to get all the words down, but one of the patients uh, had passed away, and they had written, uh, one of the family members written, had written a uh, poem, and it's about an oak tree that's gone through the storm, through the hurricane, like just through the mess, but yet it was still standing. And it was talking about how deep those roots went. Why didn't you fall over sooner? Because my roots are deep. Because, because I am established firmly. And that's the same concept in, in the book of Psalms in that first chapter. You see, we are rooted for a reason. You and I are here not to be seat warmers or air filters. That's not why we're on the planet Earth. We've got to keep proper perspective and we've got to stay on mission even in the hardest of times when it's heaviest. Perspective, a particular attitude toward or a way of regarding something, a point of view. As a Christian, our perspective is based on the Bible. We've talked about this before. You and I see things through a, a, that lens that's the biblical worldview. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Everything that we know, he is the standard for truth. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and unchanging. It's in this perspective, then, as we, uh, as from Paul we saw last week, showed us the focus is the gospel message. It's from that perspective that we see how important the gospel message is, that making sure that everybody possible would hear the gospel. Now, the mission, an important assignment carried out for political, religious, or commercial purposes, typically involving travel. Tom Cruise has made millions on Mission Impossible. Sometimes life seems to be Mission Impossible. The difference with those movies is those stunts, I'd be dead or in a wheelchair if I did them. 
But as a church, the difference is, as a church and a body of Christ, we have a mission that is not impossible. That mission could be stated several different ways. Uh, Be a disciple and make disciples. Or proclaim the gospel. Uh, Bring teaching and exhortation to other believers. Or bring others to Christ. Serve those who are in need. The the poor, the needy, the widow, the, the orphan. Or even simpler, love God and love each other. Love God and love each other, not just as a statement, but love God and love each other with how you live your life, with how you use your words. It's a great guide for us. Staying on mission helps us keep proper perspective. Even when we're going through the storm and when we keep proper perspective, it it helps us continue on the mission even through the storm. We're not distracted by all of the debris that's around us. Our main text is Philippians 1, 21 through 30. Proper perspective keeps us on mission is the title. Or it could be titled the other way. Staying on mission keeps proper perspective. You see, they go hand in hand feeding off of each other. So let's read our text, verses 21 through 30. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you, all for your progress and the joy of the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you and your standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but a salvation for you that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. How would you answer this question? For me to live is, for me to live is material possession and wealth. To die is to incite a riot in my family fighting over my material possessions and wealth. For me to live is pleasure, To die, eh, is nothing. For me to live is fame. To die is to have left my mark on society. Our world has many great wonders in it. Monuments to great men built at a time that they were great. But the majority of the people in the world don't know know who they are, unless you're a history buff and that's the kind of thing you study, but that's going to be a very low percentage of the people in the world There are three amazing pyramids in Gaza, which Pharaoh spent multiplied millions of dollars and man hours on to build as monuments to themselves so they would not be forgotten. Yet although the pyramids still stand, not many of us can even name the men that they're supposed to immortalize. Paul's perspective, his philosophy for life is this, for me to live as Christ, To die is even better, because then (laughs) I'm going to be with him. There's my gain. 
That's single-mindedness that we all need as believers if we think properly and we want to live joyfully. See, if we're a businessman or a businesswoman and we're successful or an athlete, anything else is going to be elusive and unsatisfying. You're always going to be striving to get that next thing. It doesn't matter how many deals you close or how many ribbons or medals or trophies you win. Anything other than Christ is going to leave you on the short end of the stick. The only way to rejoice through life, to be happy about life, to be full of joy, is to say that my identity lies solely in Jesus. Who we are in Christ is truly all that matters. Everything else is just rubbish. This passage truly shows Paul's lack of fear of death and how it impacted his outlook on faith and ministry. His perspective would not change, nor would he be distracted from his mission. Let's look at 21 through 26 again. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And if I do not know which to choose, but I am hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that your proud confidence in me should abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. You see, Paul, Paul not only recognized that to be with Christ is much better than being here, but he understands the importance of being with the Philippians and the other believers as long as possible. We have to remember that death is not defeat for Christians. It's graduation day to eternity in heaven. We don't talk about that. And we don't think about that until we're at a memorial service or a funeral, right? Nobody wants to talk about death. And when we think about heaven, oh yeah, someday I'll be in heaven. That'll be fine. That'll be great. But we don't talk about what that really means and what it looks like. Death indeed is not something to be scared of. It is a graduation day to eternity in heaven. There's a great picture of that happening today, or not just today, but this time of year, right? We have graduations, high school, uh, college. Um, just had one of our CCU gals, Karina, if you've probably seen her out bouncing around, she's part of our security team. Um, she graduated from CCU Friday. We celebrate, right? That graduation into, now you're an adult. Yay, you. You're gonna wanna go back to school so fast. Just kidding, she'll be fine. New life, right? You, you finish this thing and you graduate and you go into that next thing. And, and for her, yeah, and for any of our graduating students, yeah, it's that next thing, that, that next part of life. Paul's looking at the same perspective. Hey, when I'm done with the school of hard knocks that I'm going through here, I get to graduate to heaven. And it's all good. It's going to be great. It's new life. For Paul, his death would be come, come because of his faith in Christ. God would indeed be glorified and others would be encouraged by him, even in his death. In his death, he would graduate immediately and be in the presence of the Lord. And this is where something comes in and a lot of controversy comes in with bad theology. We have two things. One is soul sleep. The other is a word that we hear often. It's called purgatory. Soul sleep, it's a false teaching that believers who die are held in some sort of suspended animation until the resurrection. So I'm still what's, wondering what's going to happen with the frozen dead guy up there now. He's in Estes Park, I guess. 
held in suspended animation till resurrection. Seventh-day Adventists believe this, Jehovah Witnesses, and another cult called the Christadelphians all believe this to be true. The concept of soul sleep is not biblical. Whenever the Bible speaks of sleeping, it's a description of how a dead body looks. Three things in death that we see in Scripture. One, according to Hebrews 9.27, once we die, we face judgment. Two, in 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, it says, when we as believers are absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. There's no hanging out. There's no suspension. For unbelievers, the third piece, Luke 16, 22 through 23, for unbelievers, death means everlasting punishment in hell. That's not socially acceptable today, but it's the truth of God's word. Paul's understanding of death being a gain speaks against purgatory as well. Purgatory says that the believing dead must be purified through suffering before coming into the presence of God. In Catholic theology, purgatory is a place that the Christian soul goes to after death to be cleansed of sin that has not been fully satisfied during life. This is not biblical. Jesus died to pay the penalty of all of our sins. Romans 5.8. Isaiah 53, 5, by, but he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And that's not a name it and claim it scripture. That is literally our soul being healed in such a way that we can spend eternity in heaven with Christ. Jesus suffered for our sins so that we could be delivered from suffering. So to say that we must also suffer for our sins is to say that Jesus' suffering was insufficient. Purpose and mission. Paul knew that if he was alive, his life would be fruitful because God had created him to bear fruit. Verse 22 says, if I am to live in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. The whole idea that we're thinking behind this is that our sins have been cleansed. Everything's been taken care of, right? To live is Christ. To die is gain. Everything has been atoned for. If we are, if we are absent from this body, we are present with the Lord. And that brings us great hope and encouragement for each day. A little song came to my head when I was thinking about this one spot, and it's because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because we know he holds the future and life is worth living just because he lives. It's that aspect of us being absent with this body, knowing that he lives, we're present with him. Everything's taken care of. We don't have to worry about it anymore. Paul says, if I'm to live in the flesh, it means fruitful labor. If he's going to live this way, he's going to bear fruit. You and I were created to bear fruit, not just to occupy space, to bear fruit. So many Christians today, sadly, will not bear fruit. Even at the end of their life, there still won't have been any fruit from their lives. What is fruit? In the natural world, we know we know fruit is the result of a healthy plant producing what is, it's designed to, what God created it to, right? We get great apples from a nice apple tree, plums from a plum tree. In the Bible, the word fruit is often used to describe a person's outward actions, the result from 
from what is going on in, in the condition of their heart. That's, that's what comes out. That's the fruit. Good fruit is produced by the Holy Spirit. We've talked about Galatians 5, and 23 before. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's fruit that comes out of you being a follower of Christ. The more we allow the Holy Spirit free reign in our lives, the more this fruit is evident. If we walk in the Spirit, we will not desire the things of the flesh. We keep in step with the Spirit. That's the goal. That's, that's what's so important about us staying in tune with the Holy Spirit. If we're walking in the Spirit, our eyes are on God. If we're in His Word, He guides us and directs us and He protects us. And He gives us that ability to make wise decisions. And we're not going to want to walk in the flesh. We're going to desire to walk in the Spirit. In John 15, 16, Jesus told his followers, I chose you and appointed you so you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So righteous fruit has eternal benefits. So there's Paul being hard-pressed. He knew there would be fruit in his life. He also knew there'd be fruit if he died. He knew the power of the proclamation of the gospel personally. He believed and he was saved. He was all in. Remember we talked about in the introduction of this book, we talked about it from the beginning, how uh, he was such a bad person, was actually trying to kill Christians, but yet he was saved and turned his life completely around, and now he's being used in amazing ways. The thought of finally being with Jesus for him was an amazing draw, but yet to exhort, to encourage, and, and teach the Philippians, well, that was a great draw as well. It's kind of the same conundrum we had as, as we studied the book of Revelation. We all pray and still today would say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We want him to return. I'm ready. Let's go. But if we're going to be here, let's be about his business. What is it that he has for us to do? Let's work on that. Let's do that. Let's be obedient and complete those things that he's given us to do. Lord, help us to obediently serve you. Help us to share the hope that you have given us to share with others and help us to do it with gentleness and compassion. And I would even add, as we read from Paul and Peter, let us share that gentleness and compassion. That's great, let's do that, but let's have an urgency. Who is it that God has brought in front of you right now that you could be sharing with? That's your mission, that's your goal. Paul doesn't know which to choose, live or die. He longs, he panteth after as a deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for thee. He longs to be with Jesus. Do you? Or are we distracted by what's going on in planet Earth? Other men and women have wanted to die and some are gripped by gloom and darkness that leads to suicide, others tired of the world's cruelty and sickness, others yet, even in the midst of their own suffering, want to die. To that, I would pause right here and say, hey, if you're, if you're in that space, if you're struggling with that right now, reach out. We don't walk through life alone through good times or bad times, easy times or hard times. If that's a thought in your head and that's something you're struggling with, reach out and get help. We're here to help you. God's right there to help you. All you got to do is extend your hand. All you got to do is reach out. Amen? You are not alone. You are not alone. Let somebody walk with you.
Paul's desire to depart had nothing in common with those attitudes. Paul probably had many motivations to depart. He, he wanted to go to heaven. And man, if he's in heaven, he'd finally be done with sin and temptation. Praise God for that. Going to heaven meant that he would see other brothers and sisters that had already gone ahead of him, that are already there. But most of all, going to heaven meant he got to be with Christ. He got to be in that, closer to him and in a, in a stronger and better relationship than he can now here on earth. Clark said, it appears to be a metaphor taken from the commander of a vessel in a foreign port. He feels a strong desire to set sail. He wants to get to his own country, his own family. But this desire is counterbalanced by a conviction that the gentle interests of the voyage may be best answered by his longer stay in the port where his vessel now rides. For he is not in dock, he is not aground, but he rides an anchor in the port and may at any hour wave the anchor and be gone. Hi, this is Pastor Scott from Foothills Calvary. I hope the Lord is speaking to you through today's message. I wanted to just take a second and invite you to join us for worship services at Foothills Calvary. We meet Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. If you'd like more information on Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. Now let's get back to our study. I pray that the Lord will continue to speak to you by his Holy Spirit. Philippians 1.24 says, Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Paul understood that others still needed him there. That his work was not yet done. So while allowing for the possibility of martyrdom, he told the Philippians that he expects to be spared at this time. I will remain. I will continue with you. Paul was confident, full of faith, yet he seemed short of absolute certainty. He, his lack of absolute certainty, though, is a comfort even to us. Even the great apostle didn't have some prophetic certainty about the future. We, we would all love that, right? We'd like to know what's happening next so we can prepare and plan. If I had known what was happening next this last week, would have been much better. Or would it? But we must take a day at a time with our eyes fixed heavenward. That's what he gives us. One day, take care of it, keep your eyes fixed on him, then take the next day. A side note, Paul did survive this imprisonment. He was set free and martyred later in Rome. He did come to visit the Philippians once again. Paul's friendship with the Philippians was so close that he knew indeed that they would rejoice over seeing him. Then Paul gave them instruction on their behavior and his absence. And Paul wanted the Philippians to work together for the cause of the gospel. Verse 27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that rather I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you and that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Conduct. Literally in the Greek, it means to live as a, as a citizen, Paul told them, be a good, patriotic citizen of the kingdom of God. Pay attention to what you're doing. 
And we'll see him address this again later as we study Philippians. Paul was laying out this, this accountability piece. He's saying, hey, be a good example. Set the tone. And that he would be checking on them to make sure that they weren't just talking the talk, but they were walking the walk. That word accountability, accountability. There's already much temptation in the world today, and it seems that the devil is constantly striving to create even more temptation. And it's in the face of such temptation that we as Christians should seek out accountability. Somebody to pray with, somebody to help share the burdens that are, that are going on while we're struggling or going through some sort of spiritual battle, spiritual warfare. It's good to have a brother or a sister that we can count on when we're facing temptations. It's good to not be alone. We like the word accountability when we're holding somebody accountable. But when they're holding us accountable, it gets a little bit sticky, right? That happened early on. And, and I you know, wanted Nori, I mean, our elders hold me accountable to make sure that I'm teaching God's word, that I am engaging in the word as I should be. And the first time I misquoted a scripture in one of the teachings we did back in the book of John, and I got an email from Nori outlining every area that needed to be addressed, and I was mad. <laughs> what are you doing? Who are you? Why are you? Oh, you're holding me accountable which I asked for, right? So we like to hold others accountable, but do we like to be held accountable? God reminded me of that. Everything is good. That's what they're here for. Um, haven't had too many more emails, just so y'all are clear. One or two here or there, but it's usually just little short things. But it's good to not be alone. It's good to seek accountability. King David was alone the evening that Satan tempted him into adultery with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 11. Don't be alone. Have somebody there with you, praying with you and encouraging you. In Ephesians 6.12, the Bible tells us we fight a war not of flesh and blood, but of spirit against powers and spiritual forces that threaten us. But listen, we all like to hold others accountable, but don't like to be held accountable. We must change our perspective, and accountability really is for our own good and, and for the growth in faith that we have. Ephesians 6 is an awesome a chapter to read as far as spiritual warfare goes and to press in and to know that, that as you help somebody walk through that as they're having a hard time and it brings strength because we see we have strength in God's word and in his counsel and in putting on the full armor of God. So I would ask you this morning, who is holding you accountable? Do you have someone that holds you accountable? Or are you just kind of that lone ranger kind of do your thing. I would encourage you to get someone. Get someone that you can talk to, to pray with. Don't make it hard or you're not going to follow through, but just get somebody you can simply talk to, simply pray with, or, 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 or have them pray with you when you're struggling. Build those relationships. It's part of being a disciple. It's part of making disciples. And I have those who hold me accountable, that, that Nori and Jack and Pastor Nate and others here in the church and, and on the larger scale for Calvary chapels, we have uh, Pastor Dave Love, we have Ed Taylor. Like if they're here to hold me accountable to teaching God's word and staying on that verse by verse track and not taking things out of context. And if I go off the rails, you're gonna hear from one of them up here as they look for my replacement. It's accountability that we stay true to God's word. 
Paul wanted to know the Philippian church was staying together as one body without becoming fragmented or fractionalized or denominationalized even. Paul wanted to see the accountability and unity working together for a common purpose. That was exhorting the believers, encouraging those that were already of faith, and then sharing the gospel message with those that did not believe. So regardless of his presence, Paul urges them to continue living in a manner that is honoring to Christ. The same would be for us. We must live in a manner that is worthy, a manner that is honoring to Christ. Verse 28, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. Paul wants the Philippians to be bold before their adversaries, not, not terrified. Not terrified by their enemies, alarmed, frightened, terrified. In the Greek, it, it's referenced to a stampede of uncontrollable wild horses. Paul wanted them to have the same faith that he had in the midst of his trials. He wanted them to stand with boldness, not, not swerving, not ducking, not diving under the, the, the couch, but standing strong, not stepping back or retreating. When Christians stand strong against the intimidation of the world, they, and when they stand strong against the flesh, against temptation, against evil, against the devil's schemes, it shows those spiritual enemies that their ultimate destruction is certain, that they have no power and authority in our lives. When our spiritual enemies fail to make us afraid, they have failed completely because they really have no other weapon than fear and intimidation. If you think about what drives our world today, it's fear and intimidation. When COVID came a few years ago, it was all about fear and intimidation, and that kept going. And then when we'd lose that fear and intimidation, we had Snowmageddon, which really wasn't that bad, but everybody still emptied the shelves of the stores. Like, it's all about fear and intimidation. Well, I am no longer a slave to fear. <laughs> I am a child of God. That's what we need to remember. We're not a slave to fear. We're a child of God. We have purpose. Don't be fearful. Amen? When Christians are not in any way alarmed or terrified by their adversaries, it's evidence of their own salvation. It is when we are in the Lord, we can surprise ourselves with our boldness. Do we truly understand our salvation? The end of Psalms 139, right? Um, help me to see if there's any unrighteousness in me, Lord. Help me to make it right. Really, it's saying, okay, if there's bad things in me, Lord, help me to see it. Help me to make it right. Help me understand my salvation and the power that's there. When you surrendered your life, you were delivered from that sinful lifestyle, and you were saved. You're a new person. You're a new creature. This is the true power of the Holy Spirit-filled believer. The reason it's imperative for us to be in the Word and to be in prayer on a daily basis, seeking to be filled on a daily basis with the Holy Spirit and anticipating opportunities to share hope on a daily basis. God will use you right where you're at in the midst of the mess. Be ready. Be prepared. Don't be terrified. Why don't the Philippians need to be terrified by their adversaries and the attacks and challenges they faced? Because God was in control of it all. And as hard as it is to understand, God ordained and timed it all out. It was God's divine providence. We don't understand that. We think that all the bad things happen. Why would God plan that? 
Verse 29 and 30, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict for which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. It was granted to the Philippians to believe in Jesus in the same way this belief was granted to them was also the privilege to suffer for his sake. Well, that's not what I signed up for. I'm a Christian. Everything is good now. There are no problems. It's not the way it works. The ancient Greek word suffer here is pasco. It means primarily a sense of persecution, but it's not, it's physical suffering, but it's also physical suffering not related to persecution. It would be suffering under temptation or suffering under circumstances, hardships, suffering. How many of you, as soon as you became a Christian, you're kind of looking at the things you could do as a Christian now, and you saw the sign that said suffering, and you're like, ooh, I'm getting in line for that. I'm gonna go sign up for suffering. I'm ready to go. None of us appreciate that word nor what comes with it. And our study of the book of Peter was a good one on suffering as well. Something we all struggle with from time to time when we think about suffering, it's a fear that, well, my suffering or my current trial, it means that man, God's abandoned me. Where's God at? He's left. Or maybe it's a thought that, well, man, I'm really going through this thing. I just don't have enough faith to get out of it. That's not biblical. The Philippians and us today should see as a, a difficulty is granted to us as a tool that will shape us, a tool that molds us into what he wants us to be. He molds us to accomplish his will, his purpose in our lives. It's not a punishment. I remember as a teenager, I'm working for my stepdad, Doyle, and uh, I'd haul material in the house and because uh, he was a smart man and he hired young guys to carry heavy things. And I remember thinking, this is not fun. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I, I saw it as a workout. I'm a kid. What do I know? I didn't know how it would affect me later. I carried the last load on the right side, so this one I'll carry on the left side. It was all about my stride, and I'm going to get in a good workout and a good stretch while I'm doing it. I wanted to build some muscle mass, and it was working well. But each task was preparing me for the next bigger thing, and even in doing, you know, when I started doing trim, I got to put the baseboard in the closet. <laughs> Woohoo! Why? Because nobody looks in the closet to see how terrible you did. I didn't know that at the time. I just, that's what I did. But you learn and grow and you get to do other things. And I got to do some pretty crazy custom stuff and some fun projects. And, but it all because we learn from those little things. We learn from some of those hard things we're going through. One time, because we did hardwares as well when people would move into the house, which meant we set the appliances. And I hated setting dishwashers. And you know what I told him? Man, I hate setting dishwashers. You know what I did for the rest of my time working for him? I set the dishwashers until it was so easy I didn't have to think about it. We go through those hard things. We learn through those hard things to get better, to build endurance, to be able to press into that next thing, right? Back to God is preparing us for what he has prepared for us. Let's take a peek at what James says, and it's something that none of us like to hear, and this isn't in the slides. You want to write it down. It's James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you account encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so you can be perfect and complete, not lacking in anything. Consider it all joy. 
when you face various trials. Anybody? Joyful in your trial. Happy, happy, joy, joy. There's nothing joyful about trials in and of themselves. And the key to finding joy in adversity is where we place our focus, right? Our perspective. If we concentrate on our circumstances, then we're going to become disheartened and discouraged. That was me this week. Took my eye off the ball. Disheartened and discouraged. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We learn to rejoice in our difficulties when our eyes are fixed on him because God has promised to work through them and to strengthen our faith, to bring us closer into fellowship with him, to teach us endurance. Endurance, there's another hard word. How, how many like hard, hard words like endurance? I wanna do that one. I was in track, I ran the quarter mile, but the coach always made me run with the distance guys. And I hated it. I hated it until I got that blue ribbon when we had our track meet because the endurance was built up. I was ready. Endurance, it requires hard work. We cannot be lazy. Whenever we face trials, we know one thing is absolutely true. God is producing something excellent in us. In fact, there's times that he allows us to go without an earthly comfort so we completely rely on him and we experience his joy, his comfort, his power, his assurance. It's had nothing to do with us. It's all him supplying that. In this way, he teaches us not to react to trials emotionally, but to respond with faith in his perfect provision. When we learn this, we can endure anything because our character is strengthened and our focus is on him rather than on our circumstances. The opposite is the way I handled this week and the different trials and struggles we were going through. That's the opposite side. It's not healthy and it's not good. Jesus reassures us in John 16, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. As Jesus stood ready to face the cross and defeat his last foe, death, he encouraged the disciples to always have confidence in his ability to lead them to triumph, which was proven at the resurrection. And although it may feel as if your every desire and security has been destroyed, your true hope, the Lord Jesus Christ can display his resurrection power in your very situation as well. And that was something yesterday, kind of battling through stuff, and my mom had sent me a text. She says, like, hold on to the hem of his garment. What does faith look like? No, we want, God, I need you to, you know, touch me. I, Jesus, I need you to give me a hug. I, I need, God, I need you to put your hand on my head. I need to, no, can we just reach out and touch the hem of his garment? And believe that Jesus is right there with you and he's going to take care of that situation. He's going to work a miracle in it like you've never seen. We're the ones that get inside our heads. We get distracted and we forget the power of the resurrection. And I guarantee if we can do that, if we can press into that, what he does, well, he, you will not be disappointed in as to suffering, Meyer said, everyone cannot be trusted with suffering. All could not stand the fiery ordeal. They would speak rashly and complainingly. So the master has select a, with careful scrutiny the branches which can stand the knife. Look up at each throb of pain and each hour of agony as a gift and dare to thank him for it. 
Look inside the envelope of pain for the message it unfolds. It's a rough packing case, but there's treasure in it. John Hanlon had even prayed out before we were in first service had prayed something similar to this, not knowing what the message was, and simply said, Lord, thank you for the trials and the struggles we're going through that you're teaching us and helping us to grow. Have you thought about, have you thought about that when you're going through that struggle? Okay, God, I thank you for this. I know you're doing something in it, and I'm trusting in you to help me get through it. Is this for anybody else, or is it just me? It's just me, maybe two of us. Verse 30, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. The Philippians had the same kind of conflict Paul had among them in Philippi, the same kind Paul faced in Rome. The conflict the Philippians were concerned about, the difficulty of walking right with the Lord, proclaiming the gospel message as they know they needed to, but then how to still do that when they were being persecuted, when they were under attack. That's where they struggled. Conflict is the Greek word agon, which described a place where the athletic contests were held. And later it came to refer to the contest itself. It's where we get our words agony and agonize from. If the Philippians had this kind of conflict, the same kind of conflict that Paul had, they could also have Paul's kind of joy. They could have, even in that conflict, the fruit of the Spirit, because that's what Paul had in the midst of it all. The word granted comes from the Greek term charis, often translated gift. Believing in Jesus and receiving his salvation is a gift, but so is suffering for him. Our trials keep us close to the Lord and humble and in his presence. We're dependent upon his comfort, his wisdom, and his power. Not our own. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That's where it comes from. The truth is we learn more in the valley experiences than on the mountaintops because hardships teach us more about the nature and faithfulness of God. In these times, Paul shows us that we have to keep proper perspective, that we have to stay on mission. A question for you this morning as we get ready to close, have you lost perspective? Are you off of your mission? Have you allowed the enemy space in your circumstances? You see, as we do the opposite of relying on him and trusting that he's building us in, in and through our current and even ongoing trials, we, we get buried, we get overwhelmed. Paul was not in good circumstances, but he kept perspective. He stayed on a mission. Scott, on the other hand, did not do that this week. I got buried. I lost perspective. But God, by the grace of God, we all stand. By the grace of God, he restores us. Man, I struggled through all that stuff this week. What do we do with the dog? I need to surrender the dog to somebody who can pay for that surgery. I need to do this. I need to do that. Pam's doing this thing. I'm having some PTSD because here we are in year number nine of cancer stuff. Okay, God, how am I going to do? What am I, how am I going to fix this? Well, how am I going to? Kept on going all week, battling, fighting, grinding. I get to Thursday morning at 2.30 in the morning. I have worship music on because I'm not sleeping. 
And I begin to feel kind of that wave of God's grace, a little bit of his mercy. There's more of the worship music. You feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, just healing and some, not, circumstances didn't change. Dog's leg was still messed up. Pam's still going through her stuff. Get a call about Brandon's girlfriend having some back, very, very bad back issues. Like all these things keep piling on and keep piling on, but yet there's God's grace. There's some peace. There's the wave of his, his mercy. The battle literally continued until about nine o'clock last night. Guess when I finished the message? Nine o'clock last night. Like as soon as I, as soon as I shut the computer off, it was done. And then all of a sudden that oppressive spirit was gone. Do you think the enemy didn't want this message to be heard? Even for me to stand here, right? Can we stand and press in and press through? Life is not easy. I would say just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I got it. <laughs> I've already told you that before. If I stand up here and say I figured it out, I'm good to go, I've arrived, help me out. God's about to teach me something new. As we press in, I learned a lot about myself this week. More importantly, God reminded me gently of my mission and of my perspective. He just said, hey, look over here, right here. Look, I got you. And I got this. I'm gonna take care of it. You keep walking. Just be obedient. Keep your eyes on me. I know that. How many of you know that? <laughs> and how many times does God go, excuse me, over here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're there. Oh, okay. We need that reminder, just as we were talking about at the beginning. Even in the midst of the mess, we can have peace. We can have joy. We can be on point where God wants us to be. Not my will. God's will be done. God's will is going to be a mess. God's will, that's where I need to be. Lord, help my heart to line up with your heart. I want your will. Your will be done. So the question is, how many of you feel that you've lost perspective and in losing perspective, you lost sight of the mission? I want to reassure you that, that as you confess that before the Lord, as you ask for his help in regaining perspective and what your mission is, he will indeed help you. I felt those waves coming in. Like, oh yeah, man, where did I go? How did I get off this track? So, whoa, what happened? I have no idea. How did I get here? God, I need your help. And he's right there. I'm telling you the same thing. The circumstances may not change. My circumstance didn't change. But my perspective did, and a reminder of the mission. Do what it is that God has called you to do. What you do within those circumstances are gonna change as you're totally surrendered to him, as you seek him to guide you and direct you. And as we close this morning, I'm gonna ask you to do something a little bit different because I wanna pray with you. I wanna pray for you. So I'm gonna ask everybody to bow your heads, close your eyes for a minute. I just want you to listen for a second. I want you to be praying. And so the Holy Spirit ministered to you. But I would ask you that question again. How many of you feel that you've lost perspective? And in losing perspective, you've lost sight of the mission. I'm going to repeat it one more time. 
How many of you feel that you've lost perspective and in losing perspective, you've lost sight of the mission? If that's you this morning, you just feel that, I just want you to lift your hand up. Just wanna pray for you. Raise it up high. Now I'm gonna ask you to take a little bit of a step of faith. I just want you to stand up right where you're at. Everybody else, heads bowed, eyes closed. Just stand up right where you are. I'm not gonna make you come down front, I promise. I just wanna pray for you. God sees you. He sees your heart. He knows where your struggle is. And he's got a purpose and a plan for your life. Before I pray for you guys, I'm gonna ask one more question. Something that the Lord put on my heart just as I was closing this out this morning. Anybody else in this room that would we want to stand in the gap for a loved one who you would say has lost perspective or focus on the mission? I'm gonna ask you to stand up and we're gonna pray for them as well. You know somebody in your family, you know a friend, a coworker, they've lost perspective, they've lost mission. Good. Let's pray, Father. <laughs> you see more than just these hands. God, you see their hearts. You see hearts that are hurting, but you see hearts that desire to serve you and to have that proper perspective to know who you are and what the mission is. God, you know what each person is going through. Lord, you see those who stood on behalf of a loved one, of someone else. So Father, I'm asking that you would rebuke the enemy in Jesus' name and you would put a strong hedge of protection around them all, everyone standing for themselves or those standing for a loved one. God, would you meet them at that point of need? Would you help them to take those circumstances and set them down at your feet and put their eyes fixed on you? And, and would you help them to open their hands and their hearts and their minds to you? That you would fill them with your Holy Spirit to overflowing, that, that they would bear fruit even in the midst of the struggle and the storm and the circumstances that they're going through. Father, give them ears to hear you in the midst of the mess. Lord, there are those in here that need your forgiveness, but there are also some, Lord, that, that as they lay these things down, they need to forgive themselves for whatever's been going on. Lord, would you help them to do that? Would you help them to feel your forgiveness and in that forgive themselves? them all in your hands with great expectation, Father, of what you're going to do next in, in and through their life and in and through their, their circumstances. And we give you praise for it, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We have to remember that the good news, the, the mission that Paul focused on, Jesus, God's Son, came from heaven to earth, where he headed to the cross, where he was crucified, where his blood was shed for your sins and my sins, that ultimate sacrifice that covered all of our sins. See, when God created the heavens and the earth, they were perfect. When he created man and woman, they were perfect. It was good. But when sin entered the garden, it brought a separation between God and man. 
And in that separation between God and man, as we kept growing and, and, and walking through life, we, we, try to, we try to fill that void. We try to take care of that separation on our own. We fill that void with, with sex, with drugs, with money, with religion, thinking if we go to church enough and are a good enough person, we'll make it to heaven. None of those things will last. It is truly only through Jesus Christ that we are saved. That's the gospel message. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son for you and I. That we wouldn't perish, that we would have eternal life. The simplicity of the gospel message is that you can confess and believe. You confess that Jesus is Lord and you believe that God raised him from the dead. And you will be saved. That's how simple it is. God has a purpose and a plan for your life and it starts as you surrender to him. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm gonna ask you this morning, if that's you and you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you, I'm gonna ask you just to say a simple prayer, conversation from your heart to God's heart. Pray something like this, dear God, I know I need you in my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and I confess that Jesus is Lord. And I believe that you raised him from the dead. Jesus, please be Lord of my life. Guide me and use me. Use me to bring hope to others. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, or if you stirred earlier and, you wanted, and I prayed over you, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to talk with you. Uh, if you pray it online, just shoot me an email, scott at foothillscalvary.org, and I'll get back to you as well. This has been Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. We hope you were blessed by today's message. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website, at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org.